This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg are on page 370. And now he's going to explain where the beginning of Yesh. Hashem creates something from nothing. So he begins by explaining what is the beginning of something. When we say something from nothing, we mean something that feels separate apart from Hashem. As he stated earlier, the vessels of the world of Atsilas are limited, but they're godly. Limited does not mean not godly, because God also has the ability to express himself in a limited way. When we say something is not godly, something is created from nothing, something that feels separate from its source, is not aware of its source, doesn't exist in its source. That's the definition of something, something that's separate, something that consciously feels that it's a separate entity. So it's not whether it's per se it's limited or not limited. That's not the criteria. Vessels of the world of emanation are limited, and yet they're godly, not holy, they're godly. Knows its source, feels its source, it's an expression of its source, it's an extension of its source, it's nothing other than its source. So it's not separate. Something from, uh, something from nothing means, by definition, that it's apart from its source, it's separate from its source. It doesn't know its source. can't comprehend its source. And it feels separate and apart. So you're saying that, that both of these, these parts are, are, in that le- are in that level. The, the connection that they're part of Hashem, but, but the yesh that they're, that they're separate no, and apart? No, no. so there, there's, you know, you can know that you have, you can, know, you can be a part and know that you have a source. You don't know where your source is from. Okay. But you know that you have a source, and you're a part of the source. Like wisdom, of the divine wisdom of the world of emanation. It's also called something from nothing, but it's not really something. It's godly, but it knows, doesn't know where its source, doesn't know where its source is from. But it knows and is connected to its source. It's completely nullified before its source. It's completely egoless. There's no, there's no separation. There's no I that's separate and apart. So then how does it get the feeling that, it's, that it is separate? 
the, the... No, only because it's fine. Since it's defined, it's wisdom. Yeah. And God is infinite and undefined. So it comes from a place that is completely beyond its comprehension. In other words, uh, infinite is beyond wisdom of the world of emanation. In relationship to the infinite, the wisdom, the divine wisdom of the world of emanation and the cat are the same. <laughs> and its understanding is the same. Because God is infinite. It's so beyond. So it's godly. It's the divine wisdom of the world of emanation that emanates from God. There's no ego. There's no separation. There's no... But... It's, from, it's called something from nothing only because it knows Mayayin is, I don't know where I come from. I know that I come from Hashem. But I don't know where. I can't comprehend. I can't comprehend the infinite. I can't grasp the infinite. Even the divine wisdom of the world emanation cannot grasp its source. But it's completely connected and plugged into its source. So there's no separation. So there's no, there's no ego. There's no separation. So there's no existence. It's not... It's not creation. It's emanation. It's not creation. God emanates from within himself. He emanates divine wisdom. He emanates his ability to be limited also, to, to concentrate himself in a limited way, express himself in a limited way. Because God is truly undefined and unlimited and he can express himself in any way he likes. So it's all an extension and expression of God. So there's no separation. Creation means separation. Not only I don't know where I come from, but there's, there's a disconnect. There's a complete disconnect. How do you get from point A to point B? There's a complete disconnect. And that's why we call something, we are something and we come from nothing. Because we don't understand our source and we don't sense our source and we don't exist within our source. And it's a different type of existence. There's no connection between this our source and, and us. So this disconnect from our source as an entity on, on our own, this is what characterizes creation. This is the idea of something. This is what makes us something. So this first level of something is not just talking about ego. We're not just talking about the ultimate something, the material something, the tangible, the ego He's going to say that in the beginning of creation begins with the vessels of the world, the world of creation, formation, and the spiritual world of action. These vessels, the vessels of the ten spherot, every world is ten spherot, but the vessels of these ten worlds, and not only the vessels, but even the level of nefesh and ruach of these, the soul and the spirit of these ten worlds, even though they're spiritual and spirituality. It's also creation. Spirituality is also creation. Let's not confuse godliness with spirituality. In other words, it's trying to tell us. Don't confuse religion and meditation and spirituality with godliness. Just like the physical is a creation, something from nothing. Spirituality in all the spiritual worlds, even the highest world of creation, let alone formation and and the ten sfirot, which is like the core of these ten worlds, and the vessels of these ten sfirot, and the nefesh and the ruach, the soul and the spirit of these ten sfirot, they're all creation. God created it something from nothing. It is a separation. There's a disconnect. Yes, it's spiritual. And yes, it's a holy world. 
there's no ego there. They completely worship God and, can, and are nullified before God. They're separate. But they're separate. That's the definition of something. Anything that's separate, it's not God. An angel is not God. Even the highest level of angels. Pure angels sitting and meditating 24-7. No coffee breaks. No naps. And yet, they're beings. They're creatures. If you pray to an angel, it's idolatry. It's something from nothing. Don't confuse spirituality with godliness. The angel knows that there's a God and all he does all day and night is sing to God and praise God. Yes. And like, no, I mean... We praise, sing. Same, you say, which part? The one that we sing and praise with God all day and night? He's in the same relationship to God that we are. No, not exactly. An angel is holy. An angel is, uh, is, you know, an angel is connected to God. The difference is, it's like a fish swallowed up in water and it's life source. Versus us mammals, that we are not swallowed up in our life source. We all come from earth, but we are separate from the earth. A fish is swallowed up in its life source. So an angel, yes, an angel is a being, but it's a being that's completely aware that it's separate and, and, and completely is aware that it wants to become one with God and it wants to, knows that it's being created by God. It's aware that it's constantly being created by God, so it's swallowed up in its life source. I wouldn't exactly call it, it's not exactly separate as our case. Our case, we have egos. We're clearly separate. Sometimes people can go through their lives, a day can go by, could you imagine? A week can go by, and a person never even once thought about God. Angels, a moment doesn't go by that they don't think about God. Every moment they're consumed by their awareness of God. They're swallowed up by their awareness of God. But they're angels, they're beings. They're, they're separate, they're right, they're spiritual. Spirituality is not God. He's trying to make the point there. Get it out of your head. Don't confuse meditation, spirituality, Eastern mysticism, religion, music, sublime. That has nothing to do with God. Don't confuse godliness, spirituality with godliness. Spirituality is just as much as a creation. Something from nothing, just like the physical. As it says, Bereshit bara Elohim, God created the heaven and earth. Just like earth is a creation, something from nothing. Heaven, spirituality is also a creation, something from nothing. Godliness is completely, God is completely transcendent, beyond. Just like we understand that God is completely transcendent, no one is going to say, I grab God with my fingers. Because everyone understands, even the foolish child understands that you can't grab God with your fingers. So anyone that tells you that I grab God through my meditation and through my religion and through my theology and philosophy, it's just as equally nonsensical, just as ridiculous. Just like you can't grasp God with your fingers, you cannot grasp God through religion, meditation, spirituality, sublime Higher levels of consciousness. Are the angels closer to God than we are? Well, they're like the fish in the water. They're constantly swallowed up in their source. They praise God. They're consumed by godliness. It bothers them that they're separate and they want to become, they're trying to become one with God. They're trying to get closer to God. So they're holy. Versus a person who's, you, we human beings are just egotistical 
we're completely disconnected. Wait, so how did prophets, like say Moshe, saw God face to face? And I know that's, you know, sort of an analogy face to face, but he knew God in some way, right? And other prophets? Right, so a prophecy is a revelation of godliness. You're right. Prophecy, it's not just spirituality. Prophecy is a direct revelation. God appeared to him. It's a revelation of godliness. God himself appeared to him. It's a revelation of godliness. It's a revelation of the world of emanation. That's why it's godly. It's divine. It's a whole different, a whole different story. That's why Judaism is different than all religions and all mysticisms. It's not, that's spirituality. But that has nothing to do with God. Mm-hmm. They don't know what God looks like. Mm-hmm. But God appeared to us at Sinai. Every single Jew, face to face, three million men, women, and children, we all stood there at Sinai, every one of us. God appeared to us and spoke to us. When God appears to Moshe and speaks to Moshe and speaks to the prophet, God himself is speaking to the prophet. And he spoke to, to Abraham. He spoke to Adam, he spoke to Noah, he spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. God himself spoke to That's a revelation of God. So he says, where does something from nothing begin? The something, he says, begins in the upper realms, in the spiritual realms. Not only the angels, but even the vessels of the world of of, uh, uh, creation, formation, and action. The vessels of the spherot, and even the soul of the spherot, and the wind of this, and the spirit of the spherot, all of that was created. It's not God. It's not Godly. It's created created soul, created um, spirit, created vessel, let alone the created beings, the angels, the created. So it's very dangerous when you confuse spirituality with godliness. It becomes idolatry. You pray to an angel, you're worshipping idols. But an angel is holy, an angel is spiritual, an angel is sublime, an angel is so otherworldly, yes. But it's just as much as a creation as you and I. It's a separate entity. It's not God. It doesn't have God. That doesn't know what God looks like. Because it's separate. Not necessarily because it's limited. The vessels of the world of emanation are also limited. But it's not separate. It's an expression of God's ability to concentrate himself in a limited way. It's all about God. There's no separation. All there is is God. Versus the angels, a separate entity. It's an entity. Even the vessels of the world of creation and formation. And the spirit and, and the soul of the world is also, it's a separate entity. It's an entity that is aware of God, it's an entity that worships God, it's an entity that feels connected. But it's an entity. It's two separate entities. There's God and there's the spiritual entity. So it's the fact that it's separate, not so much the fact that it's limited, it's more the fact that it's separate. That's what makes it a being, an entity that's not godly. Because if it's connected to godliness, if it's an extension of godliness, all there is is God, there's nothing else. So the moment there is something separate, that's something from nothing. It's no longer God. God creates something from nothing. There's a separation. There's a disconnect. We're not part of God. 
That's why we can't understand God. You can't understand something that you're not. You don't have it in you. Could a blind person understand what sight is all about? You don't have it in you. You can't understand it. We're not God, so we don't, we can't understand. We can't grasp. Because we are a creation. We're separate. We're apart. Something from nothing. There's no connection between the something and its source. That's why we call it nothing. Because we don't exist in this force. And so and it's is in the same position as we are. Yeah, we'll get to there. One, one, okay. Let's not rush. Let's not rush. Let's not rush. We'll get there. Let's start. Okay. In the middle of page 370. Now. now the Kelim of the Ten Seferic of Berea, Yitzirah, and Asiyah, and also Orot, Nefesh and Ruach, are the first stage in the beginning of created substantiality. Yesh. The Orot, lights, that vest themselves in the Kilim and thereby animate them, them consist of Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama, which are simul- simultaneously three levels of, in the soul and three levels in the life force, light, that animates the worlds at large. The lower two of these, Nefesh and Ruach, also compromise an element of Yesh. The Kilim were created from the category of Neshama obtensiferit of Berea, Yetzira and Asiya. This Neshama of obtensiferit being divinity. The godliness of the Seferit creates the Yesh of the Kelim of the Seferit and also their Nefesh and Ruach. So something from nothing. What's the nothing? That's the godly energy. What's the godly energy? That's the level of Neshama. The Neshama is godly. And that's what creates the spirit and the soul and the vessels. So the vessels and the spirit and the soul are the something that's created from the nothing which is the neshama, which is godly. So the neshama within the world of creation and formation and action, the neshama, that's the driving force. That's the godly energy. That's the ability to create something from nothing. And it creates, parallel to the neshama, it creates a nefesh, a ruach, a soul, a, 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 a spirit, with, and then the vessels that contain it. That's all the creation. That's created. But, but who has the ability to create the level of neshama? Because neshama is godly. As he said earlier, anything that's connected to godliness has the ability to create something from nothing. Only God has the ability to create something from nothing. So anything that's godly even if it's limited, like the vessels of the world of emanation. But if it's godly and it's connected, it has the ability to create something from nothing. So the level of neshama, that's the creative energy that creates something. What's the something here? The beginning of something? The beginning of something, it begins with the soul and the spirit and the vessels of the ten svirot of the world of creation, formation, and action. It's a lot of Kabbalah here. <laughs> We're not going to become Kabbalist overnight. A lot of language, but um, this, is, this is Kabbalah 101, the, ten, the four worlds and the ten svirot, and the vessels of the ten svirot, and then you have uh, the nefesh, the soul of the vessels, and the spirit of the vessels, and the neshama of the vessels. So he's saying that the neshama, that's the godly creative energy. Continue. 
And these Aurot of the Sephora are the 30 kilim of Sephora of Malchut, of the world of Atsula. In the world of Atsulas, even the vessels are godly. Not like in the world of creation and formation and action where the vessels are created. They're not godly. But the vessels in the world of emanation, even the vessels, even the external level of the vessels are godly. And the external levels of the vessels of the world of emanation, they in turn become the soul of the world of creation, formation, and action. And the analogy that's given is, it's like the teacher and the student, right? There's a gap, a grand canyon between the teacher, Einstein, and the student. The level of the teacher that interacts with the students, that the teacher communicates with the students, the teacher, Einstein, finds the right words and parables to communicate with his students. That's like the lowest level of Einstein. He has to concentrate himself and limit himself and, and come up with parables and language that the students can relate to. So you're not getting Einstein the way Einstein is for himself in his dazzling brilliance. Einstein lowering himself to the lowest level that's possible to the, scraping the bottom of the barrel to come up with words and language where he can interface and interact and communicate and reveal something to the students that they can receive it. So what's considered the lowest level by Einstein, scraping the bottom of the barrel to the students, this is a brilliant illumination. This is a revelation. This is their soul. This is the starting point. To them, this is, wow, this is... This is and this starts their process of thinking, of absorbing, and learning, and growing. So the, the external level, the most external level of the most external level of the, of the world of emanation, which are the vessels, and the external level within the vessels, these become the language and the source. This becomes the neshama, the soul, of, and the creative spark of the worlds that follow. The world of creation, the world of formation, the world of action. So what's the end and the end, the end of the end of the higher world becomes the beginning of the beginning of the lower world. And that's what he says now in the world of Atzilut. Second paragraph, page 371. In the world of Atzilut, even the external aspect of the kilim, of Malchut, is godliness. It is this external aspect of the kilim, of Malchut, that vests itself in the worlds of Berea, Yitzira and Asiya and becomes their soul and life force. These kelim are composed of three tenfold levels. The innermost kelim, the intermediary kelim, and the outermost kelim, 30 in all. The highest level, they become the soul and life force of the world of, for me, of creation. The, the intermediary kelim, they become... So they're 30 altogether, 10, 10, and 10. So the 10, the intermediary ones, they become the life force of the intermediary world, of the world of formation. And the outermost, the outermost level of the kalim, those 10 kalim, they become the uh, life force, the soul and life force of the outermost world, which is the world of creation. Okay, so These are on different planes? They're not all within... Well, no, because you have, have Atzilot with ten spheroids. Yeah, then you, then you have the vessels, but in the vessels itself, you have you have three levels. You have the innermost, 
which is closest to the, to the light of the vessels, then you have the intermediary, then you have the most external. You know, for example, everything really is made up of three levels. For example, you have midot, right? Take emotions, for example. So you have emotions where they're receiving from the intellect. They're close to the idea. They're not yet full-fledged emotions. They're more like closer to the idea. They follow from the idea. Then you have the emotions themselves, full-fledged emotions. My heart is on fire, I'm inflamed, I love, I'm passionate, I, I, I'm fearful, I'm dreading. Then you have the way the emotions affect the next level, the lower levels, how, how they express themselves, how you express the emotions. The emotions lead to you love, okay, now I want to, therefore I'm going to pursue this. And, and uh, so it leads to the next, it leads to, right, to the action. So you have three different levels. You have the level of emotions, the way it's receiving from its source. You have the emotions itself, and you have the emotions, the way it's leading to extending itself, extending outwards. So everything, you have three levels. You have it's the inner, the innermost, which is close to the light. It's receiving the light. Then you have the vessel itself. Then you have the way the level, the vessel communicates the outside of itself. So the level, the innermost aspect of the vessel's that becomes a life force of the innermost world, which is the world of creation, which is really the most subtlest of all the world. As Nachmanides calls it, it's just the potential for existence. It's not even yet a full-fledged existence. It's just the beginning of existence. It's the potential for existence. You know, it's like, it's like the, the atomic level of, of existence. It's pure energy. It's not, we haven't even got to the formation yet. It's just pure potential of existence. So that comes from the innermost aspect of the vessels, which is closest to its light, to the infinite. So this is like the fish in the water. It's so swallowed up in its source, it barely exists. But it's the beginning of creation, the seed of creation. Then you have the vessel itself. That already is the world of formation. The world of formation, things are already formulated. You have already, you know, it's like on the chemical level, your things are already formulated. It's, it's beyond the pure energy. And then you have the world of action when you have the finished product, the final finished product. That already comes from the most external aspect of the vessels that communicates outwardly. And therefore, it's already fully formed and fully shaped. And there's something completely, entirely separate outside that you're, communi- that you're communicating with. So, so that's what he means. From each aspect, each dimension of the vessels creates, becomes a soul and life force of a different type of world. A world which is inner, very an inner world, an inward-oriented world. Then you have the world itself. Then you have a world which is completely externally oriented. That's our world. Our world is completely externally oriented. It's the physical, it's, 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 it's the tangible. So these three aspects of the vessels, they become the soul and life force for these three different worlds. But, but since it comes from the vessels of the world of emanation, which is godly, this soul and life force is also godly. And therefore it has the ability to create. It has the ability to create the world of creation. And that the innermost aspects of the vessel and the intermediate aspects of the vessel creates the soul and life force that has the ability to create the world of formation, beginning with the nefesh and the ruach and the vessels, which then creates all the creatures of the world of creation the angels of the world of creation. And the soul and life force of the innermost aspect of the vessels becomes the, God, the godly creative life force to create the nefesh and the ruach and the vessels of the world of creation, which from that creates all the creatures of the world of creation, which are the angels, the higher angels, and the, the souls. 
souls are, are rooted in the world of Bria. And then you have the lowest level, the most external aspect of the world, of, of the vessels, which is also godly. The ability to communicate, and that becomes the soul and life force, the creative energy, divine energy to create, beginning with the Nefesh Ruach and the Ten Svirot of, and the vessels of the Ten Svirot of the world of, of action, which creates all the creatures of the world of action, which are all of us, and everything that exists in this world. But it all comes from that divine creative energy which comes from the world of emanation. But that's just the innermost aspect. That's the soul and life force. But which creates the nefesh and the ruach, the spirituality. Nefesh and ruach are like spirituality. But what creates spirituality? It's the godly creative energy which comes from the world of emanation. So it's the godly energy that creates spirituality and the vessels which then create the beings that populate these worlds is this likewise in Atsiru that the emanated yesh derives from the external aspect of the kalim of Atsiru from the Kitsnonyu the external aspect of the kalim of the ten spirit of Atsiru which are godliness or created the Hechalo the celestial chambers of Atsiru Unlike the Kalim and spirit in which there is vested the internal level of the Orot, these Hechalot are an external aspect of the world of Atsirot, in which the category of the Gulim of the Tensorot vests itself. He's saying that there is a level of Atsilot which is, which is not godly. In the world of emanation, this is very new to us, you know, we have to speak to someone who's familiar in the Kabbalah, if he ever heard of such a concept, that even in the world of Atzilut, the Hegel, the palaces, just like our world is divided into time, space, and souls. Right? The context is we operate in the space that we operate in. That's what we call the Hegel, the palace. That's the frame of reference that we're operating in. We're operating in this space. We move through the space. We move through time. And we are the sentient beings within this world. That are, these are, this is our backdrop, time and space. That's the Hegel. It's like the space. And then there's the time. And the sentient beings move through these times. So every world, including the world of emanation, also has a Hegel. A heichal is like the palace, it's like the space. And within this space, there are sentient beings that live in this space and operate in this space. As he's going to say in a moment, there are angels. There are angels from the world of emanation. Something we never heard before. There are angels in the world of emanation. But they're created beings, they're not godly, they're angels. They're separate beings. You're not allowed to pray to an angel of the world of emanation, just like you're not allowed to pray to an angel of the world of creation. But it's a being that exists within the frame of, frame of reference of the world of emanation, not the world of creation. A much higher, much higher level of an angel than the typical angel, even the higher levels of the world of, of, of creation. 
Don't they have different names? Yeah, sure. But the highest level we, have, we know the name is from the world of creation. Here, angels of the world of emanation. I don't know if they have names. It's a good question. The highest angel, Matatarain, is from the world of creation. He's called Sandal. Maybe he's like, he's like the... Sandal is like Malchus of Atzillus. Maybe he is. Maybe he's this angel that he's referring to. Matatarain, the highest angel, is really the, the Sandal, like the shoe of the world of, of Atzillus. So... So it's a shoe to the world of Atzilus, so it's like part of it, but it's not, it's a shoe, it's separate. It's not, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not, a shoe is not part of you. So it, it's, it's in the Heichal, it's in the palace of the world of Atzilus, but it's an angel of a world of Atzilus, but it's an angel, it's a separate being, it's a separate, separate, um, a separate entity. And he says, that where, does, where does this come from? How is it possible? How is it possible in the world of emanation that there should be something separate? The world of emanation that emanates from God precedes creation. How is it possible there should be something that's separate in the world of emanation? There should be a palace and there should be a space and there should be whatever space means there and there should be a sentient being, an angel of the world of emanation in that context and not be godly and be separate. So he says, because this palace comes from the level of the spherot, which are eagle. Eagle means it's round. There are two, two ways that the spherot are transmitted. One is linearly. One follows the next. So one is, each one internalizes the previous sphera and evolves, and they are like one, as we learned earlier, like the fire and the ah, coal, the fire and the coal, but in the higher level of the meaning of Ilav Alul, that they're all one and all swallowed up in each other and all connected to each other, and therefore, no matter, they're all connected, they're all godly, there can't be any real separation. But then there's another way, the way the Svirata transmitted, and that is like a circle. In other words, it's transcendent. It doesn't enter, you don't internalize it. It's above you, like a house. A house is above you. It's not something you internalize. It's not part of you. When you eat, it becomes part of you. What you wear is outside of you, but it still fits you. A house is it's completely beyond you. It transcends you. So, so he says, even though it comes from the world of emanation, but it comes from the world of emanation by way of like igulim, comes like it's in a transcendent way. So I don't internalize it. So I don't internalize the godliness of the world of emanation. So therefore, there could be a separation. And therefore, you have this context of the heichal, of the palace, of the world of Atzillus, and you have these angels, so that even though they're living in the world of Atzillus, yes, I'm, I'm a citizen of the world of Atzillus, but it's like above me. It's, it's my palace. It's above me. It surrounds me, but it's not me. I haven't internalized it. So internally, I don't feel godly. I'm, I'm a separate being. But where do I live? I live in the world of Atzillus. <laughs> that's my home, that's my heichel, that's my palace, that's my home. I feel comfortable in that world. But I haven't internalized that world. So I'm not godly, I'm a separate being. So the angels are separate beings. Even though where do they live? They live in the world of Attilas, but they're separate beings. They're angels. Just like Metat, Metatrain. He could be in the world of Attilas, but he's not, he's an angel. If you pray to Metatrain, it's idolatry. But he lives in the world of Attilas. He feels at home in the world of emanation. Yes, but he's a bee. 
separate being, a sentient being, a separate being. So even though he's the holiest angel, and but don't confuse godliness with spirituality. Termigulam, literally circles, refers to the encompassing mode of influence or market of the sphero, which does not permeate the created beings which it illuminates. The penetrating mode of influence, or panimi, would make the animated object resemble the life force that animates it. The exterior or encompassing mode of influence, called the gulam, by contrast, allows the animated object to perceive itself as a yesh, albeit an emanated form of yesh. And also the bodies of the angels of Tzilu, which are a form of yesh, are created from the external kalim of the spirit of Tzilu. As it is written in his angels, he charges with deficiency. It's read in the Hebrew, Tahallah, not Tehillah. Tehillah means praise. This is a, a verse from Job. And in his angels, Yasim, he places Tahallah, a deficiency. Okay. The phrase, his angels, implies those nearest to Hashem. For example, the angels of the world of the Tzilu. Yet even these are deficient in that they are yesh and not divine. That's what he means. Even his angels, his angels, they're closest to him. They live. Where do they live? Where do they reside? In the world of emanation. And yet, they have a deficiency. What's their deficiency? They're angels. They're beings. They're separate beings. They're not God. Separate beings. Because they are not holding in a state of uh, nullification as the alul is in relation to its ilah, for they are created in a manner of yesh from iron. The vessels of the world of Atzil, as he said earlier, they come ilah va'olul. There's something from something, and therefore they never, they're close to their source, they're not separate from the source, and they're all like one and inseparable. So therefore, they're all godly. There's no separation. They're swallowed up in their source. They're all, they're all one. There's no separation whatsoever. Versus here, they're not completely nullified. They're not as the Allah is, is in relation to the Allah. They're created. They're not ill of Allah. They're created. They're separate. By contrast, the souls of the angels that emerged by the Zivar Nishikin, the union of kissing, for example, by more ethereal manner of union of the spirit, when spiritual entities emanate such as the souls of angels, and also the souls of man that emerged by the union of Zun, of Atzilut, the union of Za'er, Antin, and the Mahut of Atzilut. This form of union is termed Zivag Kufani, literally a physical union, relative to the Zivag Neshikin. From this form of union there derives the birth of souls that become enclosed in actual physical bodies, in the state in which they exist in Atsilu. In general, it says the difference between like souls and angels, which are higher, angels or souls? Angels are called God's name. We don't find anywhere that souls are called God's name. Angels are obviously much holy, holy and they're connected. And the angels right now, presently, are on a much higher level than the souls. But the sea right, the souls are higher. And the, the explanation is because it's like a difference between the two types of transmission. There's a spiritual transmission, a teacher to a student, which is a spiritual transmission. The teacher communicates ideas. 
So it's a very lofty spiritual transmission. That's what he calls a kiss of a, um, a union of kissing, which is much more a spiritual uh, union versus the physical union of man and woman, which is bodily and physical, and that gives birth to a child. So which transmission is more spiritual? The transmission of the teacher-student is much more spiritual than the transmission of husband and wife, which is a physical transmission. Which transmission is more profound, deeper? Husband and wife. Because you're creating, you're giving birth to a child, you're giving them your essence. A teacher and a student, the teacher is just giving him something external. He's just giving him an idea. He's transmitting an idea, but he's not giving him a piece of his, his essence. So too, the souls of the the souls of the the souls come from the what seems to be the lower level of union. But that lower level, which is more like a physical level, but that lower level actually is a much deeper transmission. It gives birth to souls that have the ability to come into this world. Angels are spiritual and they remain spiritual and they cannot come down into this world. When the angels were sent into this world, they became corrupt and they corrupted the whole world. They couldn't handle this world. In order to give birth to souls, to have the ability to come into the body, it must be from a much, it comes from a, from a much deeper place. So that comes from a physical, a physical, a physical union, from a lo- much lower level, but really comes from, that's why it comes from a higher level. Is that something from nothing? We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, not yet. Well, well, one second. Hold, hold your horses. <laughs> We're getting there. So he says that both, both the union of the, these angels comes from the higher union, the higher levels, the souls of the angels that come from the union of kissing, and the souls of the Jew that comes from the union, the lower union. Which, which relative to the union of kissing is called a physical union, like a husband and wife, this, which gives birth to souls. They have the ability to come into the body, to be vested and enclosed in this body. Both of them, he says, continue, before... Before their descent to Berea, Yetzirah, and Asiya are not counted as created substantially, yesh, and as instances of a distinct and independent entity. Rather, they resemble the category of godliness in intense contraction to the point of being on the level of neshama. He's saying that the souls, where the souls are in the world of emanation, the souls are godly. They're not separate beings. So it is something from nothing. No, it's not something. It's nothing. He says before, before they descend into this world, we're not talking about once they descend into this world. Once the soul descends into this world, then the soul becomes a separate entity, becomes separate. But the way when the soul is in the world of emanation, before it descends into this world, there's no separation. It's godly. It's a godly being. And the truth is, elsewhere in Hasidus, Hasidus explains that even when the soul descends into the world of creation, formation, and action, and comes down to the body, it's still godly. godly. As we learned in the third part of the Tanya, the letter of Teshuvah, 
letter, letter in the chapter number four. You can listen to the lessons in Tanya.com, I think the fourth lesson, fourth and on. That even when the soul comes into this body, it still is essentially a godly being. It's like the Chassid would say, he says, uh, he says that godliness came down in a sack filled with bones and <laughs> The soul, the godly soul, the Jewish soul, is at its core and its essence is essentially godly. And it remains godly even as the soul is vested and is enclosed in the body. So birth is the soul. It's, godly. it's like a child, yes. On one, hand, on one hand, it's separate. A child is separate from his parent. But the child is the parent. That's why the child inherits the parent automatically. Even a child is a day old. Because the child is the parent. You don't have to do anything. Automatically, the child inherits his parents. Because the child is the parent. So automatically, whatever the parent has goes, goes on to the child. Who's, Legally. Whose soul is in the child? So it's godliness. God has the ability. He, he did this wonder, wonder of wonders. He took himself and he separated himself. But, but a... So it's like a child that's separate, but it's still completely one with his parent. So yes, we're separate. Once the soul comes down into the world of creation, formation, and action, we are separate, we are part. And in the Torah we don't find, except where God called Yaakov, Kale. God's name is Rashi says. Or Mashiach will come and says, we're going to be called by God's name. But up until that point, we don't find that we are called by God's name. Angels are called by God's name. No. But Elohim. But the, we are not called by God's name. Even though we're much deeper than the angel and much more connected than the angel. But once the soul comes down into this world, we're separate. We feel separate. We have a consciousness. We're separate. We're like a separate being, an entity. But the truth remains that even when we come down to this world, it's, it's, we're, we're essentially godly, and godliness has separated himself. How that's possible? <laughs> Only God has the ability to do the impossible. But that's who we are. We are an impossibility. We are a contradiction in terms. We're separate, but we're godly. And that's the real reason for anti-Semitism. They, they, they detect that there's something very, very different about the Jew. Must be irritating. Because he's, God, he's, he's a being, he's a separate being, but he's godly. They don't necessarily, can't necessarily articulate it, but they just sense that something, there's something strange, different. Not only, not only the anti-Semites have a problem with the Jews. In this week's Torah portion, by Yishla. The angels have a problem with Jews. You think anti-Semitism is only the Goyim, the UN? The angels have a problem with us. The angels don't get us. When God wanted to give Moshe the Torah, they put up a fight. Yaakov wrestled with the angel according to one opinion. It was a holy angel. Not that he wrestled with Esau's angel. That's one opinion. Because the angels don't get us. Just like the angels don't get God, because they're not God. Spirituality doesn't know what God looks like. They don't get the Jew. Because we are at the core and at the essence, we are godly. 
godliness has separated themselves, so to speak. So it's like created us like we're descended, the soul descends into the world of creation, we become separate. But we're not separate. We're separate, we're not separate at the same time. So we don't fit in. We're like the odd man out. We just don't fit into the whole universe. We're like this, this strange combination. Being, non-being, existence, non-existence. We, we are, we're not, we're separate, we're not separate. They just look at us and they sense, they become very uncomfortable. They don't, they don't, they don't get us. They can't. They've been studying us for 3,800 years. We're the most ancient people in the world. They've been studying us for 3,800 years and they still they can't figure us out. They don't get us. We don't make any sense. We're filled of paradoxes, full of paradoxes. Those brilliant people, it's simple, intense, pure faith, simple faith. Conser- ultra-conservative, ultra-liberal at the same time. We're separate, we're engaged at the same time. I mean, holy land, contradiction in terms, land should be holy. Everything about us is just riddled with, we're an enigma, <laughs> a riddle, a puzzle, it makes absolutely no sense, a paradox, it makes no sense to so we make them feel very uncomfortable. Unless they live a godly life. If they're righteous Gentiles. We didn't make the Mark Twains of the world uncomfortable. We didn't make the Tolstoys of the world uncomfortable. The Sugi Harris. It's the egotists. And they can be very religious, by the way. But the egomaniacs. The egotists we make very, very uncomfortable. We, f- we are very threatening because we undermine their whole raison d'etre of being, existence because we are being in existence and we're not being in existence at the same time we represent godliness our essence, we're godly which represents no separation no ego no, there's not, nothing besides God so that makes consciously or subconsciously it makes 7 billion people feel very uncomfortable that's why they you know, they don't either, either they love us or they hate us. But, but they, they have to deal with us. They can't ignore us because we, make, we challenge the whole underlying assumption of the reality of existence, of being. But that's the Jew. So the Jew is filled with paradox. But before the neshama comes down into the world, the world of creation, when the soul is still in the world of emanation, there it's godly. Just like the vessels of Atsilas, they're limited and they're godly. Don't forget, limitation has nothing to do, that's, that doesn't mean it's not godly. Just that like God has the ability to express himself in an infinite way, God has the ability to express himself in a finite way. So just because there are vessels that are limited, and just be, that are defined and limited, even limited, as Alter Rebbe said in the beginning of this letter, and just because there are souls and these higher level of angels, it doesn't mean that they're beings. And they're create, created beings. They're not separate. They're an expression of God. So they, all they are, an extension of God. They're godly. That's where we come from. That's our root. This is our source. We come from the world of emanation where our whole being is just godly. There's no being. There's no separation. Our whole essence is godly. An extension of godliness. That's who we really are. That's our root. Get to know yourself. (laughs) Just like the level of neshama, the life force of the world of creation and formation and actions we said earlier comes from the external levels of the vessels of emanation but they are godly 
So it's intense contraction that God is able to limit himself and concentrate himself in a limited form. But nevertheless, it's, it's still connected. It's still godly. It's godliness. It's not separate or apart from God. So the soul also is godly. It's an extension of God. It's an extension of, of godliness. They're like the kilim of the tense firot of Atzilut, which, though their divinity, are by nature finite. So even something that's finite could still be divine. God is not limited to being infinite. God could also express himself in a finite way. But it's all God. It's God expressing himself in a finite way. God contracting himself and concentrating himself in a very finite way. But it's God. There's no separation. It's godly. On account of the contraction of the infinite ains of light vis-a-vis the cup that is vested in their nefesh, ruach, and samach, the restricted diffusion of the cup that descends into the Kilim lacks the infinite degree of Ainsof illumination that constitutes the essence of the Kav. It is this contraction that makes it possible for the Kilim of the Sephirot to exist in a mode of limitation, even though their union with the Orot and their nullification to the Orot lends them the characteristics of divinity as mentioned above, and in a similar state are the souls of Atzilut as still found within Atzilut. However, with regard to the contraction of the cub that is vested within them, the Alter Rebbe goes on to state that this is not merely a tzimtzum, a contraction involving a diminishment of the godly illumination, rather, just like the original tzimtzum that occurred in the infinite aims of light, a tzimtzum of such intensity that it was able to bring about a void, a space, for the existence of the world, and so on. The Arizal says that when God created the world, the infinite light filled all space. And then there was a, an original tzimtzum. The initial tzimtzum, which is a complete contraction and which created an empty space, so to speak, then he emanated from within his infinite light through the tzimtzum in the space a line, a kav. Kav in Hebrew means a line, like a, a, a ray of light, so to speak. Of course, none of this is physical, it's just a metaphor to help us understand. The infinite light surrounds the circle. There's an empty space. In this empty space, God emanates a line, a single ray of line. Not the infinite light, a single ray, which connects, it comes from the infinite light, but has been reduced through the timsum. The timsum creates this empty space, and the timsum also emanates from itself just one line, one ray of light. But even this ray of light, even though it's just a light, it's one ray, it's one line in comparison to the infinite light that it comes from. But nevertheless, it's a reflection of the infinite. It still has, retains that infinite quality. But then, in order for this infinite light, this ray of light, which is still connected to its source, the infinite light, in order for this light to be able to vest itself in the vessels, which are finite and limited, it has to undergo an intense contraction. Not just a little screening, a little diminishing. It's like a radical contraction. Just like the initial contraction was such a radical leap 
from infinite, how do you get to, to, to completely contract itself to create an empty space that seems to be void of the infinite? It's a radical leap. So too, even to get from the kav, which is just that little line, that little light that's in this empty space, but that connected and comes from the infinite light, even this light, to then be able to vest itself, this light to be able to vest itself in the finite vessel, there has to be this radical symptom. This radical change. In order for this light to be able to, to vest itself. Because it's a whole different order. You know, finite and infinite. It's a whole different order of... So to get from infinite to finite, there has to be this radical leap. It's not even in the same, you know... It's not in the same realm. We're talking about things that are completely not in the same realm. Two plus two is four. If I tell you two plus two is five. Okay? It's a mistake. But at least we're talking, we're in the same universe. You're talking two plus two is five, I'm telling you two plus two is four, and we're having a discussion, we can have an argument. You can say you're wrong. Even to say that you're wrong means that we're living in the same universe. But if someone tells you Two plus two is yellow. <laughs> I got a problem. <laughs> well, right. I mean, that's exactly what Israel faces today, by the way. Israel is facing a president and a media and a BDS movement and an, an intelligentsia that's basically telling Israel, the Jew of the world, you know, two plus two is yellow. But there's occupation, you know, occupation, yeah. Jews, Jews are being stabbed in the street, men, women, and children. But there's occupation, you know. So it's like, could you have a conversation with someone? We're not living in the same universe. This is, this is an insane person who has to be locked up in an insane asylum. Even if there was occupation. Yes, it's Arab-occupied. We liberated Arab-occupied Israel. That's the only occupation. The Arabs are occupying a land that they have no connection with. That's occupation. But let us say, if let's say, theoretically, you were right. So, occupation? That gives you a right to stab men, women, and children? Anyone who says that is a murderer and a terrorist. Did the British go, go blowing up uh, uh, kindergartens in Germany? Did the Jews after the war go blow up kindergartens? So there's no one to talk to. Brain-dead, heartless, soulless, evil, Nazis. You're condoning Arab Nazism? BDS movement? Oh, 300,000 Syrians slaughtered 5 million refugees. You have no problem. You know, you're not wasting a breath. But a Jew defends himself. Occupation, immoral, evil. There's no one to talk to. If someone has a logical argument, 2 plus 2 is 4, and you say 2 plus 2 is 5... We, have, we can discuss. But when you're dealing with someone who's brain dead, you're dealing with someone who's soulless, you're dealing with someone who's pure, unadulterated, absolute evil, we're not living in the same universe. So the tzimtzum, the tzimtzum, the radical tzimtzum, the radical contraction creates, there has to be a radical leap. How do you get from infinite to finite? There's no connection. Is a million one iota closer to infinity than one? A billion? Oh, okay, a trillion? A zillion? Oh, 
It's nothing. Just like one, there's no connection to infinity, a zillion. No matter how many zeros you'll add to it, there's no connection to infinity. So to get from infinite to finite, it, it, there's no relation, there's no connection. It has to be a radical leap. So to get from the kav, even this ray of light, even this, which has already comes from a radical leap, there had to be this radical leap just to create this empty space, just to create that from this infinite light, this infinite light should be reduced to this one ray, one beam of light. But that one ray, that one beam of light through the symptom is connected to, to its source, the infinite. So it still retains that quality of being infinite. So to make that radical leap from light to vessel, which is limited, finite, there has to be this radical leap because there's no connection. So yes, it comes about through symptoms. So just like the vessels come about through this radical leap, but nevertheless, they're godly, they're still godly because God has the ability to express himself also in finite to make those radical leaps. And it's still godly. It's still an ex- extension of godliness. There's no separation. It's not something from nothing. There's no separation. It's connected to its source. It's still connected, an extension of godliness. So to the souls in the world of emanation that emanated, and so to the higher levels of angels that come from the union of kissing, the higher levels of union, there's no separation. They're God. And now he's going to add that there are certain souls that even when they come down into this world, they still are on the level of the souls of the world of emanation. In other words, when we talk about these different worlds, they're not physical location. It's not like if you go up to the North Bronx, that's the world of formation, and then you go a little higher up, you get to the world of creation. It's not physical. It's all here. It's spiritual. So you can have a human being in this world, a tzaddik, you asked before about a tzaddik. Yeah, that answers my question. And this tzaddik, his soul, is the world of emanation. He's living in the world of emanation. That's his reality. That's where he lives. He resides in the world of emanation. He doesn't live in our world. He's physically here. He has a nose. He has ears. He grew up with diapers. He was born to human beings. But his soul never left the world of emanation. That's his reality. That's what he lives. That's what he breathes. That's his reality. So he's going to say, very interesting. What has been said above refers to the soul of Atsila as they still find themselves within Atsila before they are vested within bodies while in that lofty world they share the characteristics of divinity and are not detached entities the Alter Rebbe now says that even after their descent into this lowly world the souls of the early Satikam did not undergo a change they did not become sundered from godliness and even after the Nefesh Ruach Nishama of Atsila descended to this world, to the first Sadiqim, it is possible that their essence did not change to become entities distinct from divinity. They remained on the same level as they had been while still in that Zulu. Efshe, he says maybe. He's not, you know, in other words, Al-Tarebi doesn't have a source for it, but he's saying it makes sense to say now, the Rebbe says, maybe we can say with certainty <laughs> that it makes sense to say that they were souls, even when they were in this world, they never lost their divinity. 
in that sense. They were completely connected and attached, which would explain. They're that is why. That is why they withdraw from their bodies. They died when they sought to sin before they sinned. Who are we talking about? He's talking about, like, for example, Chanoich. Chanoich, God took him early. He was only 300, a boy trick, 365 years old. So <laughs> God, yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to live like 900 years. So his father, his father lived. Uh, I'm sorry, his son lived uh, the longest. Mesushela. It says, why did Hashem take him early? So he shouldn't sin because his soul was so pure. Even in this world, he had such a pure soul that he was so connected that the slightest sin would have caused him, caused him to die. That's why, by the way, the, the Jews in the desert, the smallest thing they did, right away, there was, there was repercussions. Not of Navi enter drunk into the, immediately die. The slightest thing they did, boom, bam, immediate repercussions. Here, we, we do everything and everything, and nothing happens. No bells ringing, no consequences, not immediately. But uh, them, they were so plugged in and so connected. You know, when, when you work in these uh, chip factories, they work in spacesuits because it, it, it's so delicate. The smallest piece of dust gets in there, you'll destroy this billion-dollar factory. When you're so plugged in and so connected, that's one of the questions they ask the spies to find out what kind of land is it? Because the Jews were a little tired of living this way. It's so intense. They couldn't handle it, this intense life. He's so plugged in. The smallest thing you do, God, Moshe, he struck the rock. Finished. That's it. The smallest thing, you're on edge. You can, the smallest thing, there's immediate consequences. Because when, when you're so connected, you're in such an environment, if you do anything that's not godly, finished. You're, you're done. Your life is over. Because that's your life force. You are an extension of godliness. There's nothing else. So they wanted to know what kind of land is it? Could we finally live a normal life? <laughs> We live like everyone else, just live normal and go about our business. And, and they said, no. They came back with the report. This is a land, it's a holy land. You can't live normal. This is a holy land. If we're so plugged in, if you're connected, you'll be blessed. And immediately, if you're not connected, you'll see immediate results. God forbid the opposite. So they didn't want to go into the promised land. Is one of the explanations. They didn't want to live this type of intense life. But that's what happens. If you're that type of soul, that you're so plugged in and so connected and an extension of godliness, even while you're in this world, God has to take you away before if you sin, because if you sin, you, you, you'll immediately die. You won't have to wait 50 to 50 years, 60 years. Immediately you'll die. Look what happened to Aaron and Onan even. Onanism. They died. You know, if everyone died today of Onanism, there wouldn't be anyone around. Hardly. So they were, they were plugged in. It was a different, a different, different generation, a different type of... Because uh, their souls, even when they came down to this world, they were so connected. This follows the teaching into Kuna Zohar, a soul of the level of two of the parts in the body before the person sins. In this spirit too, that source interprets the verse, your sins have separated between yourselves and your God. Sins cause a cleavage between a soul and its godliness, i.e. the soul's level of the two, which is an aspect of godliness. The sin causes the soul level that derives from the glute to withdraw. The soul can't handle it. Its life force is so, it's so connected that it's, it's an attached, it's, so it, it's an extension of godliness. 
if you do anything god- ungodly, you think something ungodly, you speak something ungodly, you say something ungodly, you can't live. The soul leaves. The soul can't handle it. Because your whole being is godly. I don't think we suffer from this. <laughs> but, but the truth is, at the root and at the source, all our souls are divine and godly. The truth is, on and, and the deepest levels, our souls do suffer. And that explains why Jews are so guilt-ridden. The moment we sin, and deep down we already regret it. It bothers us to no end. We feel troubled. We feel bothered. That's why Jews are so uh, disturbed, and Jews are so angry, and Jews are so... Because deep down... We can't make peace with a lifestyle that's not godly. We just can't. And we never will. But overtly, consciously, we don't feel it. But a soul that even in this world remains a neshama of the world of Atsilas, then even consciously it can't survive a moment being disconnected from God. Even the slightest disconnection. We see in general the early generations. King Shaul. Why did he become mad? You know why he became mad? Because God withdrew from him. And that made him mad. He couldn't handle it. He couldn't live with it. A life where he can't communicate with God, that was the end of his life. He, he went insane. He couldn't handle it. Could you imagine? That's what bothers you? That people go mad because they don't have money, they don't have power, they don't have what they want, so they go mad. He went mad because he was so connected that a life without godliness is not a life. He became depressed, he became mad, he became... Because he was completely... He was devastated. What kind of life is this? He was king. He was the most powerful person. He had everything. The one thing he was lacking was godliness. God removed himself from him, no longer revealed himself to him. And that was it. That was the end of his life. He couldn't deal with it. Because their whole being was godly. Talking about just to, just to explain what kind of holy people these people were, what kind of different levels of existence, different, the air they breathed, the reality that they lived in was so tuned in and plugged in and connected. This was their reality. And they couldn't deal with it. If you take, took that away from them, their whole life was worthless. Could you imagine being so intense, so plugged in, so connected? That's an ashamma, that's a soul of the world of emanation. To be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.